first connected with my guest in this episode about two years ago. I saw him on the local news as he was featured for his work at one of the St. Louis area YMCA locations, and it talked about how he's done so much to give back to the community. Marcus Wilson serves as the executive director of the Monsanto Family YMCA, which is pretty much in the heart of St. Louis. Before that, he was part of the men's basketball staff at St. Louis University, serving as the video coordinator. And before that, he had a phenomenal basketball career uh, in college at the University of Evansville, where he was the 1999 Player of the Year, and that led to him having a professional career overseas. Now, in a previous episode, I sat down with him and we discussed his past, present, and eventual future, uh, and, and I've uploaded that to the podcast feed, so be sure to check that out. I've titled it The Flashback Podcast with Marcus Wilson. But in this particular episode, uh, I caught up with Marcus again, and I wanted to find out what was new with him. I knew that he's found a new interest uh, as a college basketball on-air analyst. I wanted to see how that was going. Uh, but I also talked to him about the current state of college basketball and just other things going on, not only in St. Louis, in the community, uh, but also just some of the things going on with him personally. Uh, and we also touch on a new project that he is working on for uh, 2020 for next year. So without further ado, here is Marcus Wilson on Persons of Interest. Well, I think now I officially have my second return podcast guest. And technically, we didn't record on this Persons of Interest podcast. This was back when I was at the Valley. I was recording the Inside the Valley podcast. And I saw this young man who was a who is a Valley alum, 1999 Player of the Year. And I'm pleased to get him back because he's had uh, a lot of exciting things going on. In addition to some of that, that happened after our first conversation back God, that might have been two or three years ago. It was three years ago. Yeah. So that is the voice of the 1999 Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year. He scored, what was it, 12 points in 10 minutes? 18. <laughs> 18, eight. 18 minutes and eight minutes against Kansas in the NCAA tournament in 99. Marcus Wilson, University of Evansville alum. Appreciate you taking time, sir. This is a... Uh, uh, a pleasure for me to sit down and talk. And we've gotten a chance to talk to each other a little bit more, keep in touch. So I'm I'm, I'm glad to see you're doing well. And uh, thanks for letting me stop in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Like you said, it's been good staying in touch over the last few years. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with this setup now. So feel free to ask whatever you want. And we'll have a good conversation here. Yeah, yeah. And we'll talk about a little bit of what you got going on, maybe some uh, after the new year with a podcast project of your own. But uh, I'm curious. So I want to use this sort of as a follow up from when we last talked, because we talked about uh, your story. What I really appreciated was that there were so many people um, that are fans now, but still a lot of people that continuously are fans that know who you are. But it's a new generation of folks, new generation of college kids. Um, Evansville's a little bit different than when you were uh, there. Uh, and now you got your jersey retired there, too. So you're in the rafters. I totally forgot about yep. that. Don't want to bury that lead. Um but it's one of those things where we've had so many great players uh, come through the Missouri Valley Conference and do some unique things where you're definitely one of those. And it's now you're enshrined, like I said, with the jersey hanging in the rafter. But um, 
it goes beyond that for you. Obviously, yeah. now you work, you're the executive director here in St. Louis at the YMCA. Um, but I think the one part of the story that always uh, sort of for me as a native St. Louis person is that you're not even from St. Louis. And here you are, basketball career off to the side. You're doing something above and beyond for this community that is hopefully changing lives in a positive way. Um those stories don't get to- talked about a whole lot. Right. So I guess my, my first question is how and why do you sort of feel connected and feel the need to want to go out and do something to make a difference for young people? Well, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm the youngest of 15 kids. Uh, a lot of people know that I was I was raised in the, in the house with 11. It was 11 kids. So my dad's uh, my dad had four in his first marriage and they lived with his uh, first wife. But the there were 11 of us growing up. And so I know what it means to uh, and what it feels like to not have uh, enough. And I know what it feels like to wish that people were there to help support a little bit more. And uh and then also just, you know, my experiences through basketball, you know, I love being in the locker room with guys and guys who are white, black, rich, poor from all different parts of the country. Um, and so you get to know different people's stories. And then me being able to play 11 years in Europe opened up my my mind and my my perception of the world to a whole nother level. And so now I'm able to, I think, empathize with people a lot better. And so when I see an opportunity to help, I just feel like that's what people should do. I know people, yeah, I think the world would be a better place if everybody helped each other a little bit more. But I just think with me being, you know, basically having nothing at the start of my life and then being able to have a little bit of something playing professionally um, and knowing everything in between, um, it just makes it easier for me to empathize and understand and connect with people. And then luckily I have the ability to uh, impact their lives. And so that's what gives me satisfaction these days. Instead of making three point shots, I like seeing being that I, I like seeing people do better because of um, things that, you know, resources I was maybe able to provide or being a part of their lives or whatever. And so that gives me a lot of satisfaction. So for now, this is what I love to do. And I get, you know, like I said, I sleep well at night feeling like I'm making a difference. The YMCA is such like a it's community center. I mean, you get people yeah. come in and working out. You'll have events here. People that may not be members here coming in for these other events. And you all do these other things outside of this building that you go out and, you know, talking to folks along the page, along this neighborhood, trying to give back and help out. When you see things like uh, the crime in St. Louis, it's make no mistake about it. We all know there was an issue, especially this summer, with so many young people being victims of it. Um, Does that sort of tug on the heartstrings even more that you want to do something to help? Like, how, how do you react when you see yeah. some of the stories out there, uh, especially in this community? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think we're doing a lot of good work here. And so, uh, you know, we do uh, $5 swim lessons. And so we reduce the price of swim lessons for, so everyone can afford it. And we just did this Thanksgiving basket giveaway where we supplied uh, families of uh, 57 families and with a Thanksgiving dinner. We, we collaborate with Spire where we help people pay it. Well, Spire pays their uh, outstanding bill debt and we do back to school gems and all that stuff. And so I start feeling like we're making a big difference. And then things like this summer happen where you see a lot of youth dying in the community I serve. And 
to answer your question, how it makes me feel, there were times where I literally went home and was like, man, am I really, am I really doing what I think I'm doing? Because I, I feel like I'm making a difference, but there's still kids dying. So obviously I'm not doing enough. And so I get discouraged. Um, some nights I need people to pick me up, uh, need somebody, you know, a friend or family member to kind of remind me, uh, you know, that I can't change the world in a day. You know, I think I was just, Somebody was just saying that uh, the old story of the person who's dry, uh, walking along the beach, throwing back starfish. And somebody's like, man, you're not going to save them all. And he's like, well, I just saved that one. And I try to remember that. And what I'm doing is that I might not be able to save them all, but I know I do know for a fact there's been people that, whose lives have been changed. And so I try to lean on that, but also stay stay humble that that's happening, but also stay hungry to want to do more and and have even more change, uh, hopefully. Yeah. It's funny. So, I've, of course, we follow each other on social media and I see some of the stories. One that jumps out for me most recently, a uh, young man uh, who got some shoes, played yeah. basketball. Yep. Um, it's already, we, we know the stories about, especially with young African-American men in this community, this is a place for them to sort of come and find, you know, the chance opportunity to become a leader to, to do something special. Yep. Well, you all see that happening and you tweeted yourself, hey, small things can add up and you yep. can see that person go on and do something special. Can you think of any stories like that? Additional ones that you're like, that, that kid who was, we didn't know, but it turned a corner when that happened. Well, you know, I, I, I can't uh, off the top of my head. I, I don't know. I, I do know that there's been a lot of kids who have left maybe or, or went off and done something and then you get a call back like a year later. I got a call from a kid who uh, worked here. I gave him multiple, multiple chances. And I'm to the point to where um, I, I don't I don't really like terminating people. Uh, that's not a part of my job that I enjoy. And so I try to I generally try to lead with a lot of grace um, and give people opportunities. This kid had, you know, was late and was just doing some things that were just really hurting the culture of my branch. And eventually I had to let him go it was to the point where others I was losing. I felt like I was going to lose credibility as a leader if I didn't let him go, because other people would have started being like, why is he getting more chances than right. me? And then about a year later, um, um, he came, he called me back and came into my office and said, Man, I just, I just want to say thank you for all, all you taught me. Um, it, it's hard work out there and I didn't want to work hard before, but. A lot of things I'm learning right now, I keep thinking back to what you were telling about how hard it, it you know, the work you got to put in to be successful. You know, I tell kids, you know, the only time success comes before work is in, is in the dictionary. And so things like that, when they come back and say, man, I know what you meant and I, I get it and I'm applying it. Uh, that that happens. That happens often. And, you know, and, and then also like the kid with the shoes is just it's one of those things where. You know, you want to keep kids encouraged. I, I'm very data driven. So I've been able to like that's how I fundraise. I, I show people the data. And there's a stat in St. Louis that if a kid doesn't graduate if a black kid in this community, I may not. It may be citywide, but I know in this community, if he doesn't graduate high school by the age of 27, there's a 80 percent uh, chance that he'll be dead or in prison. And so wanting to make sure that kids graduate for me is a huge deal. So even though that kid got a pair of shoes and he may just think it's the shoes. Part of the reason I gave him the shoes was he has a 3.1 GPA. And I said, I need you to get your GPA up to 3.3. So this kid who hasn't had a new pair of shoes in two, three years is now in school, making sure he's not missing, making sure he's studying because he wants to get these shoes. Right. And the shoes is just a little hundred dollar thing. Right. 
But if I can get his grades up and get him focused on school to the point to where he graduates, he's not part of that statistic. Those are intangibles that people can never measure, but I know it's happening, you know? And so that's, that's a big reason behind I do what I do. So you ever think of yourself as a second teacher or a second counselor to tell these kids? I don't think of myself that way, but I, I, I know it is that way. You know, I don't think like, man, I got to go mentor these kids right. today, but I do but it know, just sort of happens I do know somewhere. it happens, yeah. man. I was just posting on social media about this other day that, um, Sometimes I post about things my why is doing or an award I may have gotten or whatever. And some people may look at it like I'm boasting, like I'm promoting myself. But the people in this community don't see it that way. I have more parents come to me and say, hey, Marcus, I saw you. On so- you were just walked in, yeah. in and this guy was like, I just saw you on social media, man. I, I know that guy. Right. There's not enough positive examples. Right. And so then those parents that say that to me, they're showing their kids Man, look at that guy right there. Like you can be like that. And I don't look at myself that way, but I know in the inner city growing up, a lot of times there's three pathways that poor kids see themselves. They, they, they see success as money. So the three ways they see themselves getting money that most other African-Americans in their eyes are athletes, entertainers. Or drug dealers. Right. One way, one of those three ways, you're going to be able to drive down the street in a nice car. And, you know, that's what you want as a youth. And so the fact that I'm able to do this and they're able to see it on social media, it makes them proud. They show their kids, hey, you don't have to you don't have to be a basketball player. You don't have to be a musician. You don't have to be on the street selling drugs. You can get back to your community and look at this. That Like that's a picture of success. And so that 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 is an inspiration of mine to make sure that I'm trying to be a positive example. And if it comes through the form of mentoring or teaching or however they see it, then so be it. But as long as it's making a difference. So it's, it's funny you say that because you say you don't have to be an athlete. You don't have to be an entertainer. But when you're growing up, you and you get the opportunity to go to college and play basketball. And you play professionally. Did you think that was your way to, you know, this is how I'm going to make it? Definitely. Basketball was, was the, in the end, like goal, like, at what point did the and we'll we'll get to the coaching, but at what point did you say, All right, I gotta put basketball on, on pause? <laughs> well, growing up, I, I just remember those three options was what it felt like to me. Uh now that I'm older, I realize how small my view of the world was, but being a kid, that's what I saw. And so And you're my, not the only one. I mean, every, yeah, every kid's like yeah. that. And my dad had a talk with me. He set me down in seventh grade. I'll never forget it. Set me down. I was playing football at the time as well. And he said, son. I got some news to tell you. Me and your mom can't afford to send you to college. We can't take out any more loans. We don't make enough money. And so here's the thing. But you're going to college. You're not going to be sitting around here working at McDonald's, selling drugs or living in my house until you're 25. That's not going to happen. So. And I, and I was like, I'm sitting there like a seventh grader, like, well, you know, what's <laughs> what I'm going to do? And he was like, well. Um, here's the thing. You're going to go to college on one of two ways, get a basketball scholarship or get an academic scholarship or both. But one way or another, you're going to have to use your skills to pay yourself through college. And I was like, well, how, how do I do that? And he was like, well, in my opinion, you're not going to be good enough in football to do it. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I would suggest quit, quitting that, but we're going to quit football. Um, and we're just going to start focusing on basketball and you're going to start getting better grades. Uh, you're going to focus on your grades. And we're going to focus on basketball. And that's how you're going to get to college. Seventh grade. I was just like, all right. 
I just rolled with it. And then I just got serious about it. Uh, I was a short little chubby kid and I didn't know how it was going to work. And then uh, the summer of my eighth grade year, I went from 5'9", 165 to 6'1", 165. I grew four inches, didn't gain any weight, just started stretching out. Um, and that's when I started getting a little bit better. And and yeah, and, and that's what kind of took me to where I'm at with basketball in terms of where I, you said, when did I start putting it on pause and start yeah. shifting some of this other? After professional career, obviously, is that, or after coaching? Well, yeah, I, I, after I got done playing professionally, I, I quit in the middle of my season. Um, I remember it was December. It was December 10th, 2010. I remember because I came home December 16th and that's my wife's birthday. So December 10th, I'm sitting there. Uh, my wife and my son were back in Atlanta. She had moved back because she had got a job offer that was really good. I felt like, hey, you go ahead and get started. So we're both not trying to, she had been living with me in Europe for the last few years. So a plane goes overhead in Atlanta and we're on Skype. And my son, who was three at the time, says, hey, dad, when are you going to be on the next airplane coming home? And for some reason, that that line right there, uh, you know, it just punched me right in the chest. Like I felt I felt it to the core. And I was like, it'll be, it, you know, I almost cried, literally. And I said, uh, I'll be home soon, son. Wife got back on the phone. I said, you know what? I'm done. Like right there, just yeah. made my decision. And I came home. Uh, and so then I, I started working. Um, in Atlanta and moved my way up and was executive director at Aaron Sales and Lease and then Chick-fil-A and had a really good job with Chick-fil-A, had an upper pathway to do more in that organization. And then the final four came to Atlanta and all my old friends were there for the final four, whether they were coaching uh, in the final four or, you know, just all the coaches come to the final four. So I'm down there hanging out with them and they're talking about the college coaching and kids and this, that, and the other. And at the time I was coaching AAU in Atlanta. So I was already getting a little bit of my basketball fix from that. But I was like, man, I I think I could do this. You know, like I know the game pretty well and I play professionally and this, that, and the other. And so the basketball bugs start coming back. And then that's when um, I started trying to get back into the game. And that's when I got hired at St. Louis University. Came here for three years. Uh, first year, you know, we go to the tournament. We're ranked eighth in the country, 19-game win streak, win the A-10 regular season, five-seed in NCAA tournament, uh, beat NC State in that classic first-round game where we were down, like, I want to say 15 with, like, five minutes to go, came back, beat them, and then lost to Louisville in the second round. So year year one, it's like, man, this basketball yeah. stuff is easy, right? Like, why haven't I been doing this my whole life? And then uh, the next two years, we sucked. Uh, we were, I want to say, eleven and tw- no, ten and twenty-one and eleven and twenty, respectively, and got fired. And at that point, I was like, "Man, I can't keep moving all across the country every three to four years because that's what you're really going to do. Either you're going to go somewhere and you're going to lose and get fired, like 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 we did, or you're going to go somewhere and you're going to win and go to the NCAA tournament, and then you're probably going to get an opportunity to go somewhere else. So either way, you're going to be moving every three to five years." And with my son being his age, and I had already missed a lot of time uh, in his life of me playing professionally and traveling and moving around so much, I just decided that uh, I wanted to um, do something a little bit more stable uh, where I could still get some of the same satisfaction that I got from basketball. Like I'm still recruiting. I recruit people from my organization. I'm still coaching. I'm coaching up my staff, coaching up the youth here. Um, I still have access to youth sports because I have youth sports here where I'm at. Um, I still get a lot of the same things. It's just not a scoreboard 
up there is the scoreboard of life that I'm right. playing. And in order to make me not be that vulnerable to leave a good job and go back into coaching again, that was one of the main reasons why I talked to you three years ago when I was like, hey, I want to get into this color commentating thing. And so that has filled my bucket tremendously to be able to do that and uh, still feel like I'm a part of the game, but yet still have a full time job that's a lot more stable than college coaching. You know, I'm glad you said that. So um, for though, I'm going to dig up the old the, the first episode we did have to mm-hmm. post that into the podcast feed. So we didn't dig too much here now about, you know, Evans, Indiana kid, how you got to University of Evansville, your career there. Yep. Uh, 1999 player of the year. You guys go to the NCAA tournament. You have the, the special game against Kansas. Um Obviously, now was it last year, year before that you, they retired your jersey? I think that was last year. Last year, two years ago, or last year? It's been a crazy couple of years. You're getting I think old. Was, yeah, yeah, I am getting old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, anyway, that that yeah. just says how special a time that was for you. Yeah. So, but long story short, that leads to me seeing a story about you here in St. Louis connecting. We recorded that podcast, and that's when you said, "Hey." I want to do this. I want to get into color comments. Like, what can I do? And so I, I went and talked to Jack Watkins. Say he's got a itch that is sort of curious. Like, I didn't want to say nothing, but he goes, "Well, did he say he had?" He said he's willing to learn. He just said he wants to do it. So, (laughs) all right. Well, it it hit me because we had just started the ESPN uh, three thing at that point, and I said I have an idea, and I didn't even tell Jack. I was like, "Hey, maybe just." Call Evansville because yeah. we have all the schools. So for folks that don't know, all the schools in Missouri Valley Conference, once we started doing the ESPN three, um, broadcast all not just basketball, all their sports uh, on ESPN, ESPN Plus, and ESPN three now. Um, so there is the need to have talent, color commentator, and analyst to do it. So Braden Pretch, fantastic. The the kid went to Evansville, and I remember connecting with him when I first started working in the Valley. Yeah. Something special about that kid, I'm yeah, telling you. He's great. Um, did his graduate school at also in the Valley at Southern Illinois in Carbondale and really got good at doing live event production and things like that. Sent an email to him, and they said, well, why not? Let's give it a shot. Yeah. You know, a guy that played in the league, a yeah. guy that, you know, lives just from here, and the rest is history. Yeah. You're, so you're doing, you did games to Evansville. You have the opportunity to do some games to the Valley. Um, so we haven't talked since then. Right. So I've watched you. I've seen you do games with Tom Ackerman. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Peach, you know, just the guys from Evansville. I, so I, I know what they're capable of. They've yep. been named production team of the year. Yep. The Valley gives out a little yep. crew award. So what's that world like for you now? Because I know you've got your own little segment that I yeah. want to ask about. But how have you sort of fit in at doing that? Because that's something different that you hadn't done before, but you want it to do. Man, Derek, when I tell you it... I love it. Like, I love it. It is, uh, yeah, it, it, it brings me so much satisfaction. And, and, and to kind of circle back, I remember we finished our podcast and I was telling somebody this story the other day. We finished the podcast and I was getting ready to walk up out of the office. And I said, you know what? In my mind, I'm thinking, let me just throw this out there. And I said to you, like, hey, man, I'm, I think I kind of want to get into this type of thing. And you're like, really? Really, we were just talking about that, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe we can get some former former players and get some more diversity in, on, on the set and whatever. So took me into the office again. Like, like you said, talked to Jack. I had no prior really real prior experience. Um, but then, yeah, then it, 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 I mean, I knew the game just from playing it, but right. then also just from being a coach the last few years, being able to 
view the game from a different lens. Right. And, so, which and there's value in that. Yes, I think you is. see the analysts that yes. are out there, their former coaches, former players. Yep. That's why they're there. 100%. That has helped me so much. I don't think I would be able to do it uh, well without that. And so then, like you said, uh, I think I was getting my jersey. With, no, I was there for something else. I was, I was, they were honoring me for something. And they said, hey, let's, you know, bring you down at halftime, do this interview. And then how about you just put on the headset? And we'll keep you on That's the first okay. four minutes of the second half. I'm like, all right. So was that the tryout? That was, Did you know it at the time? I didn't know I was okay. on tryout, right? So I'm, <laughs> I just I put the headset on and I'm just calling stuff as I see it. Like I'm really good at even when I was at SLU coaching, I'm really good at seeing the set and formation a team is in. So they if they're in a four out one end or if they're in a starting in a box or whatever they set they start in, I'm able to see that. And then look at all the options that they do. So if I see that that set and then they do a couple of plays, I know what they're going to do based on their pass entry, based on how this guy's whatever. I'm, I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. Which helps with uh, my color commentating. But anyway, I was just calling it like I was seeing it. After about four minutes, they were like, hey, that was pretty good. You want to stay on for another four minutes? Sure. <laughs> so we do another four minutes. Then the next day, I get a text from Braden. Uh, or Tom Benson, was yeah. one of those two, yeah. and said, hey, Marcus, you were pretty good last night. Any chance you want to do some more games? I said, heck yeah. And they were like, well, these are the six games that we have left remaining that we don't have filled. Pick whichever ones you want. I looked at my schedule. I can make five of them work. Scheduled those last five. And the rest is history. And then I, I did pretty good there. And then that summer, I met with Jack Watkins and uh, he had been listening a little bit and I told him I wanted to do even more. And I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm humble on this. I realize I'm, I'm new, but I'll do whatever it takes to get more opportunity. If you want me to go get more experience or yeah, you originally you to told do. me, do I need to like practice calling high school games? Yeah, like you were like willing whatever. to do that. Yeah. I, I, I understand. Sometimes you got to start at the bottom and I've started at the bottom my whole life. So this would, this was nothing new. And so I just said, I'll do whatever. And he listened to, I think, some of the podcasts. I mean, not podcasts, but some of the shows. And then he, uh, they gave me two games through the MVC the next year. And now this year I have three games. And so it's just slowly been building up. And I feel like I'm getting better at it. And, yeah, I'm a lot more comfortable. So it all started with, had I taken four more steps to walk out that <laughs> office, I would not be doing this right now. And I turned and said, hey, I want to get in the color commentating. Do you know how I could, you know, boom. And then the rest is history. So Well, and it's, it's unique at the Valley because – they sort of control. It's like they have the agreements with you know, the all the TV production folks and the ESPNs and the Fox and West's world, but they sort of still control the product. Yeah. And that's that goes back to when the Valley first started doing TV, which is different from a conference of that size mm -hmm. where you have it run in-house, not just these are the games you want to put on. You do all the work for us. Like, yeah. There's ownership there. So yeah. that, that helps. Yep. Um, so I'm curious. Someone that played uh, I mean, there was TV when you play. You're not that old. Do um, you have a different sort of viewpoint or different respect for the play-by-play the -play and the analysts and the camera people since you're now behind the microphone and you have the headset on? Yeah. You can hear what's happening in the headset. People talking to you. Yeah. We're going to cue this up. <laughs> yep. how, how do you sort of like take all that in now knowing you played the games? Like, oh, is that how this works? Yeah, yeah. It's It's been a great learning experience. Like, I yeah, I've done so many interviews in my life um, to where it came really naturally. Honestly, I, I think that I'm, you know, considering I just started, I, I feel like I'm a little bit ahead of the curve. You know, I still obviously want to I listen to my pod, I listen to my um, games and try to 
figure out what I could have done better. And I'm, I'm in uh, some speech classes um, to make sure that I don't say stuff like, um, and yeah. so, you know, I struggle on, with it too while recording these things yeah, on, on air. <laughs> and so uh, Toastmasters, I actually went to my first Toastmasters. Anybody who's familiar with that, uh, it's a public speaking thing where they count how many times you say so, um, and, uh, mm. and so just trying to eliminate that out of my, vocabulary when I'm on air. So I've been really intentional about trying to make myself better because it's going to make me a better public speaker and a better leader when I'm speaking to my staff and my community anyway. But no, I think that it's something now that I've coached, if I didn't coach, I think it would have been very hard, but it's been very easy for me to pick up. And I'm hoping that this is a career that I can make full time one day. Like my dream is to be like Jay Billis one day. I know it may take 15 years, but I'm still young enough. I, I feel like I can get there. What's one part of it that you've really enjoyed the most? Is there any one part that you're like, I really love talking to the coach before the game and getting to know game plan. Or I really love, you know, the interaction on the headset. Is there any part of it? Because I remember when I first time I, I put the headset on doing uh, official stats and talent stats, which not a lot of people even realize that's part of it to yeah. feed the stats to TV and all that stuff. Yep. But it's like a totally different viewpoint. Like I, I, it was really intriguing to sort of hear a pr- producer and a director in the head. All right. Graph is good on one. Yeah. Graphic go <laughs> camera two. like that's a whole different world. Yep. Anything that popped out to you? Uh, the, the two things I think the main things is I love being able to talk about the game. But then when the game's over. I get to go home to my normal job because yeah. as a coach, you know, like you're so invested. And if, uh, you know, you make mistakes, you get fired, you right. know. And so like here is just I'm just analyzing it. So it's so um, it's just a lot less pressure. And then, like you mentioned, Braden and Tom and those guys, like I think that I've been really lucky to work with the crew that that's that is that good. Um, I've, I've seen and I'm not going to mention any names, but I've seen other schools broadcast. Sure. And our stuff is on a whole nother level. And just like, like you said, like Braden created like my own little segment that we do, like my certified bucket getter of the game, like other people aren't doing that. And so I think it was a mutual, what I love about it, it was a mutual clash of respect. And what I mean by that is they're looking at me like Marcus Wilson, former all-time great here, jerseys in the rafter. And they're looking at me like that. And I'm looking at them like, man, you guys are doing what I love to do and you're doing it right. And so I'm really, I'm really humble and I'm really like just glad to be a part of their team. Um, And then they are excited that I'm a part of their team. And so there's an excitement that we're both, we're both working for and with each other. Uh, And it's not like they feel like, oh, you know, we're giving you a break by doing this. And I'm not like, Hey man, you know, I drive from St. Louis. I don't have to be doing this. Like we both want to be there. And so it's a great chemistry. And I feel like, it's been great for me to get that experience now. So when I branch out and do other broadcasts, like I have a base of confidence and I have a base level of high professionalism versus if I would have started with some rinky dink guys and then went to work with Scott Warman at the MVC <laughs> player of the week. I mean, player of the uh, game of the week. You're right. You know, right. I see him every night on TV at Fox sports calling blues and yep. Cardinals games. Yep. And the next thing you know, I'm sitting next to him Doing calling the MVC game. Yep. But I have been prepared by Braden and Kyle Peach and guys like that. They they were so professional. So I'm just thankful for that. That's been the best part of the experience. It really has been sort of a best case scenario, like with you here in St. Louis 
Evansville is like one of the easier drives, yep. just two and a half, three hours down 64 to get there. I mean, I remember we were working when I was working at the Valley, we would drive there for seven o'clock games on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night and just drive right back. Yeah. And come I back. Do. Yeah. I don't, I don't waste vacation days. So I'll, <laughs> I'll get up and come to work at seven in the morning, uh, work from about seven to two 30. Um, the game is at six in Evansville. So I'll leave here around two 30 takes me about two hours and 45 minutes. Well, actually I'll leave here around two. I'll get there around four 30. Prep for the game. Game starts at six. It's over at eight. I drive back. Yeah, it's a long day. I get back at like 10 45, 11, but, but it's worth it. I mean, I love what I'm doing. Do. I'm doing what yeah. I love to do, and I'm not wasting vacation days by having to take the whole day off by going somewhere else. So it's been a match made in heaven. So take me back to that game where they during the tryout. Do you remember anything specific about it at all? I, I think that was the jersey retirement. I yeah. really do. Yeah, it might have been. So I don't remember who you all were playing. I don't remember much. I do remember watching. So I'm like, oh, he's on camera? Like, that yeah. happened fast? <laughs> yeah. Like, I think I just sent that email, like, not that long ago. Yep. You just calling like you see it? Like, yeah. just. Yeah. All right. I did not go. know I was on tryout. <laughs> I think if I would have known I was on tryout. You'd been more nervous. I would have been a lot more nervous. Yeah. But they were just talking to me about, you know, my career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my jersey's going up and what it meant. And so. A lot of it was that. But then as the game was developing, right. they told me, they were like, if you see something, chime in. And, you know, everybody wants to be Tony Romo nowadays and kind of <laughs> yeah. predict Call the play. play. Yeah, um, I th- it's, it's impossible to do that at the basketball level as efficiently because football, you know, get the tackle, you go back, there's a huddle, they set up. Right. And then there's like, hut, hut, hut. you know, you may have 10 seconds and, and Tony is able to identify formations right. and he has more time to see when a guy goes in motion, he sees the defense is in right. zone or man. He knows the reads. So Basketball's with basketball, way more fluid. <laughs> as soon as they cross half court, I'm thinking I'm able to do that, not at his level, but I'm able to do that because when they do set up in plays and I scout the team, so I'll watch a couple games of the team I'm about to call and I'll I'll scout it just like I would uh, like if I was coaching a slew. And when they're in this formation, this is what they're going to run. Uh, at the end of the shot clock, this is what they generally do. Um, this is the guy who they like to get the ball to when it's crunch time. And so when that, so I, I have that knowledge in my head, almost like I was about to coach against them and for both teams, for Evansville or whoever they're playing. And then when I see them set up, I call it like it's about to happen and it happens. And then people are like, Oh, Marcus, you're pretty good at this. But again, I got that base from coaching. Yeah. 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 What was it like to hear your voice and see the play on ESPN SC top 10? Couple times, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we had two Sports Center top ten plays, and man, it's just like I said, I'm I'm like a kid in a candy shop. I don't think people understand how much I enjoy that. I want to be respectful to my primary job here sure, at the wide, sure. but man, like if I, I can't think of anything I would rather do than call a basketball yeah. game right now. Like if it's, I mean, other than other than spending some time with my with my kid. If, if there's anything, you know, do you want to take a trip to Paris right now or do you want to call uh, a D1 college basketball game? Well, Paris can wait. I've already done that. Like, I want to I want to call this basketball game. So it's yeah, I, I don't remember talking about much that first tryout period. It's yeah. just I think I was able to, like, like you said, like I said, call a couple of things that were about to happen. And, and it's been great. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of history. So. Uh, Evansville has had some history this early college basketball season already. So I'm sitting there and I remember this. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Kentucky's number one. I go back. The last time we had a Valley team play 
uh, number one ranked team, Northern Iowa, actually had North Carolina come to Cedar Falls. So uh, I was talking to someone that I worked with. This is, how does that game even happen? I go, well, you know, they have these things called buy games and yada, yada, yada. And you go there. Typically gonna just you know they're paying for your travel. Now I'm I'm laying it out in a nice way because I'm yeah. even though I don't work at the Valley more, I'm still rooting for everybody. Yeah. You know, I might root for Missouri State a little bit harder, but root for everybody <laughs> right. still because I I still have connections with everybody there. Um, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, you never know what's gonna happen. And did I think in reality in my head, and eh, we just you know, eh, yeah. I tweeted. I said, hey, remember you play these games for the opportunity. So mm-hmm. I sent out a tweet. And the last time I saw this opportunity was when Northern Iowa played North Carolina. And here's yeah. what happened. And they won that game. Yeah. Now that game was in Cedar Falls too. So, yeah. you know, they were all pumped. They're yeah. all extremely pumped. So Evansville goes to Kentucky and all right. When I see those games and I see, Oh, they got the lead after the first media timeout. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. I start thinking in my head, Take it every four minutes. Yeah. Just every four. Okay, we got through the first four. The next, let's get to the next under the yep. media timeout. All right, we're halfway through. Let's get to the halftime point. Yeah. And they were in that game at halftime. I'm thinking, oh, okay. Yeah. So this is, uh, they came to play or maybe Kentucky's not prepared. I don't know. Yeah. It got a little close at the end. Evansville does hang on to win the game. And yeah. at that point, the biggest upset of the season, because now we've had Duke. F. Austin's just being, yeah, it's <laughs> and it's everywhere. just continuous. Yeah. So that's this college basketball season is already, you know, turned yeah. on its side. Yep. But I'm sitting there and I'm checking Twitter because I'm looking for, <laughs> I'm literally looking for two people to tweet something. Yeah. DJ Ballantyne, because right. I still follow him. I know he's overseas playing. Yeah. And you. <laughs> and I'm like, I know they see this game. Yeah. I know it. I see DJ tweet. He just tweets Evansville, all caps, five exclamation points. Right. So I'm like, there he is. Yep. And I'm like, oh, this guy, he's no chance he's working. I'm like, this is it's eight o'clock at night. What's going on? And Lo and behold, I see the yep. tweet pop up, and I'm like, ah, I've been waiting for him, too, yep. and I quote tweeted. <laughs> Your initial thought when you see your alma mater come up with one of its biggest wins in school history. Man, actually, I was working that night. What's you were? Okay. There is, I was in a board meeting. I was in a board meeting here at the Y, and I get out of the board meeting, and I see... I have 47 missed texts. Oh, okay. So I'm like, <laughs> what's going we're on? either getting killed by 50 and people are rubbing it in or we're in this game. And so I pull it up and I see we're in the game and uh, I get home and, I'm, and I, I watch the end of the game. And man, it was just a surreal feeling to see those guys beat Kentucky. In part, and I will, I'll be transparent, I didn't think we had a chance. I, the first, exhibi- they played an exhibition game mm-hmm. against USI. A D2 school in Evansville. Now, USI is no slouch. They made right. to the Final Four um, and D- Division Two, and they're always good. They took Evansville to, to the, wire. the wire. Yeah. Right? Um, I, think it, I think it went into overtime, actually. And then I called Evansville's first home game against Ball State. They got off to a good start, and then Ball State had the ball down two with 13 seconds to go. Now, they missed the three. Evans, they fouled. Evansville won by four. So, I'm thinking – you just got taken. The, you win the double over. You win the overtime against a D two school, and you barely beat Ball State, who was picked like third in the MAC. Like they're about to go to Kentucky and get annihilated. And so then, sure enough, you know they they won. And so I was just happy, really, really happy for them. You know, I know that feeling of winning in front on national television, and you know, I never obviously had that level of of an upset. 
But it was. But you just, had big wins. I mean, yeah, you had, had big wins, wins to get yeah. to you know conference tournament. Yep. You know, get to the NCAA. Play yeah, those we games. had some big games and some big wins. I just felt like that was really good for them, and I was really happy for them. And um, yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen next. I did. I, I, I and I, I thought this then. I thought this now. Like I, I if, if Evansville played Kentucky ten times. I mean, let's be honest. Kentucky's probably going right. to win nine. They were just really good that night. Evans, uh, Kentucky probably, you know, came in not as focused as they should have been. Uh, but Evans was really inconsistent right now because yeah. even after that, they beat IU Kokomo. Uh, it was 3-0. and Everybody's like, you know, we need to be ranked. And I saw the video of who else wants to get on the Evansville bandwagon. And I'm like, man, pump the brakes. Like, it's, we're 3-0. and Like, it's not 30-0 and yet. And so, sure enough, lost the next three. Um, and like I said, I, I've seen them play. And the, the problem is they're just too inconsistent. And, you know, DeAndre Williams is a stud. I think you can count on him for about, if he's not in foul trouble, count on him for about 15, 20 points, 18 to 20 and about eight rebounds. After that, I have no idea where the yeah. points are going to come from. Is the talent there? Yes. Sam Cunliffe started off at Arizona State, went to Kansas, University of Evansville getting a Kansas transfer. I mean, who who ever thought that would happen? He made his mark in that Kentucky game. Yeah, I he mean, played at the level. You know, he has the athletic ability, but then there's other games where he might have two, six. Yeah. You know, everything was clicking for them that night. Um, but then there's other nights where – you know, uh, you just have no idea where the points are going to come from. So I think and some of that is, I think, the way Walt plays, you know, he's coming from that pro style where if you're open, shoot it. I don't care if it's the first pass or the eighth pass. And in the NBA, when you have pros, I think you can do that a little bit more um, with with even though Evansville is talented, I think and I'm not the coach and I'm not telling him how to coach. I'm just as a fan, I think that he's going to have to hone in on a couple guys and say, these are the guys that we want to get our shots. We want them to get their shots. Um, these three guys should be getting between 45 and 55 points a game, right? right? Uh, and make sure they're in a rhythm and be intentional about getting them the ball in their spots. And then the other guys are going to have to be the role players. And if, and if they're inconsistent, that's fine. But if four, if you got four inconsistent guys and two are on, two are off, but your main three are on, it gives you a solid base of what you know you have to do defensively. Like we're, we're generally going to put up 65 points a game. Right now, Evansville could score 85 and they might score 45. You know, it's just this is all over the place. But, you know, beating Kentucky was the highlight. Uh, but obviously they, they've been humbled a little bit. So I just want to see how they respond and hopefully they can pull it together by the conference season. Yeah. And there's a lot, I mean, it's, it's November. I mean, we get to Thanksgiving everyone's playing in these tournaments now over the holidays. Uh, we're about a month out from the conference season starting. So everyone's sort of getting their ducks in a row, but yeah. I mean, obviously for a league like the Valley, these are the opportunities used to sort of build the non-conference resume. Yeah. Unfortunately, it don't look like any, anyone sort of got that put together. No, I mean, Northern no. Iowa, they they finally lost the game. They did beat uh, West Virginia. Or did they lose? I can't remember. Um, they were at a, at a MTE at a, at a tournament. Um, Your Bears play Xavier tough. Yeah, and that, you talk about inconsistent. Yeah, they they're right there with you. Now they had some injuries to start out the year. I mean, they yeah. lost their first game of the season at home, which is something Missouri State rarely ever does right. to Little Rock. I mean, they lost a home mm. opening game to Little Rock. So that one sort of was like. The preseason favorite, yeah. and we're all—I mean, just like you—we're all like, <laughs> yeah. we're, "This is the first year since '99." We're yeah. thinking of going to the tournament, and the brakes got pumped really fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they've got a big guy, Gage Prim, that's sort of come back, and yeah. he's the difference maker. So they're hoping that you know 
inside presence in the Valley, that's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, it it's such a guard-oriented league, as you well know, yep. to have someone with size on the inside that can sort of dictate things yeah. um, can be a difference maker. So we'll see. I mean, to me, and again, I worked for the Valley. I have nothing but respect for it, but is it a one big lead? Right now, they're a one big lead. Yeah. So The I, only way they get into is if one team dominates the regular season, almost the way my 99 team sure. did. We were 13-5 and five in the regular season, won the Valley by two games, and then lost in the conference championship game to Creighton, right. who, let's say, was the sec- tied for second place with Missouri State. So if if there's one team that just starts to pick it up, win, dominates the Valley, it's possible – they go like 17 and one in the Valley, then lose in the conference championship game. And that's like, what it takes. That's, that's yeah. the only way they're getting into yeah. this year. Otherwise, it's a one bit league. Right. Because we all know it's, that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, that's college basketball yeah. now. I yeah. mean, there, those opportunities for leagues like the Valley, you got to get real creative and get yeah. real different with scheduling. And if you don't do take care of business for conference play and you don't have ranked opponents, strong, yeah. uh, strength schedule coming up, you got to yeah. just do what you want to do. So, like I said to my friends, Three days in St. Louis. Hopefully it's not four days in St. Louis. <laughs> yeah. Three days in St. Louis. Yep. Let's just knock it out there and get to the NCAA tournament. So yep. we'll see. We'll see. It's like I said, Evansville, Northern Iowa, everybody just up and down the yeah. list. I mean, Bradley, Indiana State has lost a few this year yeah. that I didn't think they would. I mean, Southern Illinois won games I didn't think they would this yeah. year, and they've been competitive. So yep. it's going to be interesting from a fan perspective yeah. to, to see that. But I mean, you're going to be calling games. So I imagine you're probably going to be doing research more and more as you get closer to your games on the schedule popping up to seeing yep. these teams in person. Um, but it should make for fun basketball, I guess. So yeah. um, speaking of just the game in general, so uh, we got a couple different rules happening now. I don't know if you've seen any a, anything happen in the games you've done thus far, but the one that sort of got everybody up in arms is the flopping rule Yeah, um, where it's now up to the officials to sort of, you know, I guess their discretion about if a player is trying to draw a foul and that they flop, that they fall down intentionally. Was it due to contact? Um, these things weren't in play when you were right. playing and sort of like you go out there and I don't want to say the game's not pure. I, I use that term with Mark Adams, but it's almost like, and we're, are we diluting it by some of the rules that aren't necessarily just, you know, yeah. down the line calls. We're putting the officials, giving them a 50, 50 shot or how they're feeling that day. So yeah. to speak. I, I don't like, I don't like it all right now because I think it gives, it puts too much pressure. I won't say pressure. It puts too much responsibility on the refs. Uh, you want the kids to be able to determine the game. And, and I also think it gives too much leeway for cheating, to be quite honest. Yeah. If a, if a ref is biased or, you know, God forbid, if, you know, he's being paid off or whatever, I'm, you know, I hope that's not happening. But if he's biased and, uh, towards a conference or a team or whatever, you know, that hook and hold, uh, I, I was a part of that. I called a game where, like, if you hook a guy and hold and pull him down, mm-hmm. that can be a tag. You know, the flop, how, do, how can you really tell if it was a true flop or not? Right. I mean, some, now, if a guy is just faking, I mean, he's a horrible, horrible actor. <laughs> I get it. But, like, you know, like we were talking about the the call that, that really hurt Missouri State against Xavier in the corner. And, you know, when they're saying that the shooter flop, like, I just don't – I thought that it was going to be strictly more so – on taking charges, right. guys flopping or playing defense in the post and the guy's like pounding you down and he just flops backwards. Right. But right. when you're starting to call 
the flop on the shot as well, which Reggie Miller was great at that. You know, uh, some people have stuck their foot out to make sure they get the contact. Man, just call the foul. Take, yeah. take, you know, call, call the foul, but to add a tech on top of that or to, uh, I think it just changes too much of the game and, it, and it, it's too subjective. Uh, I think I, I would rather just have the refs just call it the way yeah. it was. But And I think you, you said the key word subjective because yeah. you're taking the game you're almost taking the ball out of the kid's hands now and saying, all right, I'm going to give you the ball, go down there and shoot two free throws. Yep. Like you just hate, you just don't want to see that happen, especially with the game on the line. I yep. mean, my worry is, and college basketball is my favorite sport. Like if, if I'm looking at all of them, I'm, I got college basketball top mm-hmm. and I just hate to see that happen to somebody. And hopefully it doesn't where there's a conference championship, conference tournament, uh, opportunity NCAA or, you know, in the NCAA tournament, because that does happen at that point when the spotlight really gets shined on and yeah. everybody in the country is watching that game. Then it's just like, OK, we're going back and forth on rules. Like you just yeah. you just want to see some consistency. Yeah. So I, li- I like some of the rule changes. I like the I like the three point being pushed back. I like that. I, like- I actually I actually don't like as many three pointers being taken. That's just yeah. Me. I think it's becoming the NBA. Yeah. I don't want to see the college become the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, well, it, it, it's happening slowly right before our eyes. But I like that pushing back. I like the the coach being able to call the timeout. you know, and there's some things I like, you know, the NCAA is trying to experiment and make the game right. more exciting. Um, and I'm fine with that, too, for yeah. the fans. I mean, heck. But, yeah, the, all this subjective stuff with the rules and, like, the hook and hold and the flopping and some of that, yeah, I, I think they should get rid of that. Yeah. So the other thing that's got sort of everybody up in arms about college basketball and college sports in general, really, is not just basketball, um, amateurism and what's happening with, um, you know, the NCAA. And they are now going to take a look and form committees about uh looking at the opportunity for student athletes to sort of generate revenue off their likeness. Yep. That's sort of the, the way I've, I've come to learn to say it yep. in, the, in the real way, I guess. Um, that's something a long time that's been discussed because, you know, you got the universities and, and the thing is too, it's not the Missouri States or the Evansville's of the world that is the big thing. This is the, the football playing schools yeah. that this probably more affects. And it's like, Boy, what does it do to yeah. the Missouri States or the Evansvilles or the yeah. Bradleys of the world? Because are they left out in the cold? Because let's think about in reality what that kind of revenue will look like versus in Alabama or yeah. Duke or North Carolina. Because yeah. we're not a football playing school or, you know, a BCS school or a conference that's got, you know, three quarters of the league once the NCAA tournament bringing yeah. in all this money. It sort of changes the game. Yeah. So I'm curious. Two part question for you. Think back to me the 98, 99, and you're having the season in your life. And would you think of creative ways to sort of generate revenue off your likeness? Is that something that you think, boy, if I were playing now in 2019 and I'm having the season I had in 99, but I'm going to go out and get a sponsorship with somebody on my own. Like, yeah. is that something you think you'd want to do or, you know, yeah. how do you see that? Well, 99, I, I I don't think I would have just because uh, social media, but yeah. now yeah, with social true. media, um, being able to market yourself and there's people that are, there's literally people on social media getting rich because they have X amount of followers. They're influencers. Yeah. And they're influencers. So if I could get my follower count up, and start making some money and then, you know, getting some exposure. Why wouldn't I put that money in my pocket? Um, I, I've come a long way on this, on this whole amateurism thought, because 10 years ago, I thought that athletes should have been getting paid. Um, and I'm going to preface this because I'm, 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 I'm not a, 
I feel like America and most people that I know are very black and white. It's like you either believe this or you believe that. There's not like the gray area. Man, I live in the gray area. <laughs> and the world is a whole lot yeah. of gray area, in my opinion. So I'm not saying my answer is 100 percent right, but I go back and forth between the kids are making these universities and NCAA a lot of money. And so maybe they should get paid. Then I also think some of these kids are getting uh, I see friends who are in their mid to upper 30s still paying back college loans. Right. And so to be able to get an education for free. And to be able to get that network, because when you're playing sports, you're going to run into boosters. You're going to mm-hmm. you you end up being somewhat popular on campus. Having that network and being debt free, what is the value of that? To right. be able to go out and get a job after college, and so maybe they maybe they shouldn't get paid. And then then you have to take into effect the Title Nine, like. How can just because this sport is making a lot of money, well, are are, are the field hockey players are going to get paid? Right. Are the women's soccer yeah. players going to get paid? Then if we start allowing the kids to get money, like you said, it's going to go to the bigger universities. So these guys that decide to stay home, like I know when I was at SLU, uh, Jason Tatum's final two was Duke and SLU. He almost he wanted to, you know, he was considering being a hometown guy. So you got guys like Jordan Goodwin who are nearby and uh, some of these guys that end up staying home. I don't think you'll ever see uh, the the Steph Curry's or the Damian Lillard's or the uh, C.J. McCollum's yeah. that, that made intentional decisions. Well, some of them were being under-recruited. I get right. that. So if you're under-recruited, but once you realize that you're good enough to go to a Power 5 school, you're going to leave the middle school. The, the you know the you know, the medium level school or the small school because you have more money to be made at a larger school and I think it's just right now we see Evansville beating Kentucky we see UMBC beating Virginia we see Stephen A Austin beating Duke why because the talent pool is spreading it's not as concentrated as before where all the big boys got yeah. all the talent there's enough personal trainers and there's enough access to basketball where enough good players are going to places like Evansville has a kid who used to play at Kansas. DeAndre Williams is a six, eight bouncy power four. They could probably play at a power five. You got other guys like that and they're able to compete. You do this where you start putting money in kids' hands and the only way they can make that money is at the power schools. It's going to go right back and there's going to be no more parity. Uh, there's going to be no more. The NCAA tournament is so exciting nowadays because you have no idea who can win. Uh, that's going to go back to basically the whole first round. Go ahead and just pick the higher seat, you know, and it just uh, so I'm I'm in the middle. I see why kids should get paid and I see why they should not. I don't know what's the right decision, but um, I'm kind of 50 50 on it right now. I'm with you. I mean, I I see both sides. I, I it's something that I when I'm on social media, <laughs> I don't do politics on social media. <laughs> right. And when I, I see the conversation about amateurism and the NCAA and athletes being paid. I read about it and I've never shared an opinion about it. Cause I'm like, man, I'm a, I root for a school that's smaller that this is going to have a different effect on yep. versus, you know, rooting for North Alabama, Carolina or Alabama or, yeah. you know, schools in the SEC with football. Like yep. this is, it's, it's almost like re- college re- conference realignment. It yep. affected football way different than basketball. Yep. And you know, eventually we started seeing basketball decisions being made for schools like a Wichita state, like Creighton, yeah. um, you know, schools going to uh, the American, you know, it, it's just different perspectives, different. So I, I see, I see it both ways, but the one thing I, I, I will say, I hate when 
and this is just ignorance. People are like, you know, this this is like uh, slavery or something like that. You know, they're yeah. making, getting free labor. Man, if, <laughs> okay, at SLU, it's $40,000, $50,000 a year. That is $160,000 to $200,000 of money that you're being, right, right. Given, being given. Trust me, these kids have training tables. So I know like you you get food catered to you before, after practice. You're staying at four-star hotels on the road. You're getting to meet boosters um, and expanding your network. You know, they say your network is uh, your net worth. So you're expanding your network at a dramatic level in, in, in college. And so even though they're not getting paid, they're getting paid. And all the shoes, all the, you know, yes. everything that they get, I mean, some of these schools, like if you're going to a school that's $40,000 a year, just the tuition alone, that's $200,000. I would say over the course of four years, they're prop and free meals and the travel, they're, uh, they're, they're um, indirectly receiving $350,000 yeah. or more. And yeah, so there's, I, there's value in the education. Yes. There's value, yes. especially when you think about the non student athlete that is this there to go to school like me, I was just there to go to school. Okay. I mean, I get it. They've got a talent. They've got a skill that sets them apart and I respect it. That's why I'm a fan of college sports. Yeah. But man, it's just, I struggle with the the imbalance of people saying they're not getting anything. They're, they're missing. I'm like, they got to pay for college. Yeah. <laughs> they got all the gear. They got. Yeah. I mean, they're they're getting opportunities. So oh yeah, the gear. I, yeah, I see. Man. I see both sides of it. And like yeah. I said, I'm I'm not here to, to argue. Neither one of us are yeah. about it. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. I guess California's got their law, and other states are still talking about it. So, but once one state starts doing it, yeah, everybody else is going to have to do it. And then the otherwise, they're forced yeah. to play their hand in yeah. some some fashion, one way or the other. Going to have to. Otherwise, yeah. right now, if only California keeps it, and Florida keeps it. USC and Florida and Miami and Florida State are going to and UCLA are going to have a huge recruiting advantage right. over everyone else. So everybody's yeah. going to have to fall in line. And eventually you're going to see the Texas, the, the bigger schools that are not a part of it. And says, wait a minute, we got to do, you know do something to catch up Yep, because that's how it happens. We gotta, They're going to put gotta pressure on their state senators and stuff. Hey, we are losing out yeah. here. Pass this bill. I mean, that's yeah. what's going to happen. All right. Well, we went almost 55 minutes. So before I wrap up, I want to give you a chance of. This whole podcasting thing is where I'm looking at all my equipment here. It's funny because I don't know where you texted me <laughs> and you were like, hey, I got a question for you. And you called. I was like, well, this is where I did not talked to him in months. And you're starting a little project of your own yep. after the new year. So I'm curious if how much you want to share uh, what's going on, because like I said, hopefully you end up being able to do some of the things that I was hoping my podcast does of of telling stories of unique people that, you know, that, you know, or people may not know that, you know, rise the level of these are stories that, hey, when you're thinking about what you want to do, reflect on this person and see how they got there. Yep. Um, it seems like that's what you're looking to do, but you're looking to take it to a video level yeah. and, and use some other connections that you've used uh, yeah. that you've gained from, you know, Playing basketball professionally, coaching, yep. and what you do here at the Y. Um, what do you What do you uh, got planned uh, in the future? Yeah, so I'm. Uh, so I need anyone listening to this podcast. I need you to tweet me or whatever. Uh, I'm Coach Coach Wilson Five. I'm I'm still developing the name. I'll be honest with you. Uh, the two names I'm I'm kind of going back and forth between is uh, Five Aces or from way downtown. Uh, but either but either way, I really want to bring in. I love Joe Rogan's podcast and I know he already had a following because of UFC. But when you listen to Joe Rogan's podcast, I, I, I try to watch the video portion of the, the video 
part. Um, but like, man, you, you just know you never know who he's gonna bring on there. I mean, he's talking to Elon Musk, he's talking to Jamie Foxx, he's talking to everybody. And some of it is just a day-to-day conversation about what's going on. Um, I also would like to talk to people about what what they're doing and what they did to get there and what are some of their habits throughout the day. Because I think people fail to realize a lot of successful people do some a lot of similar things right. uh, in terms of reading extra books a year, going and having like an executive coach, getting up early, leaving late, being very high, uh, having high emotional intelligence and what they do to develop their emotional intelligence. So there's a lot of similarities that I've seen in a lot of successful people. And I would like to talk to them about that. I'm not going to ask this you know, the same questions to people, but just try to get, you know, allow their fan base to get to know them a little bit better uh, instead of just only talking about their latest project, talk about their life, talk about how they got there. And then obviously with me being uh, in sports, I'm going to have, you know, sports people in there, but I want to try to make it happen. And I like talking to people. So we're going to see how it works. All right. Well, there you go. We look, look out for that. So I'm excited for you, man. We'll yeah. see how it goes. Like I said, we've been chit chatting about software and equipment yeah. <laughs> and you're looking to go all out. So I appreciate people that are always willing to take the extra effort because there are ways of doing stuff and just saying, I want to do this and get out there, but there are ways of doing it yeah. and putting in one or 10% and doing it to your best effort. So a, a project like I can tell you from, from my own perspective of doing this podcast, I started in December last year, I'm like, eh, do I want to do this? Can I do this? And I had this goal. I wanted to at least get through the year. And I didn't quite do it. I had a little bit of a lull in the summertime, but yeah. I think that was more because it was the summertime for my job. So I work yeah. in the school district. So it's summer break. So yeah. <laughs> you work, you work, you work. You're like, all right. Yep. And that sort of happened with my podcast. Yep. I sort of hit that all right time. But I'm like, wait a minute, I got time to do this now. Yeah. So I just sort of wasn't on the ball of scheduling out interviews and like things like that. But I realized the more I could prepare ahead of time, yeah. which is what you're doing, yeah. I could get things in a row. So I'm trying to get back into that, yep. into that spin of it because I've gotten great feedback. So I appreciate everyone that's been listening to mine so far. I uh, hope I can keep it going. But uh We'll see how yours goes. I'm excited yeah. for you, man. I already have some people lined up ready to go in January and Man, to, to close up on what you're saying is that this is the first time I feel like I have done something to invest in me since playing basketball. So I, I take it back to when my dad said, hey, you better get good at this or this. Yeah. And so I started investing in myself like I need to get good grades. I need to start shooting 500 shots a day. And I did that. And then after that, went to college and, you know, played professionally. But after that, you know, I've worked for a company. I love working for the Y. I'm working, you know, doing the color commentating, but I don't I don't have my own business. Right. And I'm at the age where I really want to try to either I wanted to start my own business. Uh, but this is a miniature version of that to do what I love to do. If it blows up and I end up getting 100,000 followers <laughs> and start getting uh, sponsors and stuff. Great. If not, it's still something I love to do and I'm investing in myself. So I feel good about doing it. So I'm going to put time and make sure I do it right. Well said. That's how I look at mine. Pers- it's, I tell people every time. Hey, it's just a personal project. I'm doing it just to, you know, put something out there positive about people because I yep. just get tired of seeing negative stuff and yep. stuff on Twitter that just gets to me. So uh, I wish you best of luck, sir. I appreciate Thank you taking you. time to chat with me. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And uh, man, basketball season, you're going to be busy. Yeah, I'm busy. But like I said, I love it. Traveling around, calling games. And so, yeah, man, we'll hopefully uh, I get better this year and then I will eventually want to keep moving up. I want to stay with the Valley because they invested in me first. But if I could get some games with the Big Ten and the SEC in the next couple of years, that, that'd be a, a dream come true. Nice. I'll be rooting for you, sir. Thank you. Marcus Wilson, person of interest. 